0: So we're in Romans, again, and still. We're, we're moving on to chapter 12. We're doing verses 1 to 8 today. And there are a few little bits in Romans where there's a big ouch factor. We've already seen one ouch factor in chapter 5, which was we rejoice in our sufferings. Here's another ouch factor. Present your bodies As living sacrifice. Present your bodies as living sacrifice. Now in those days, the people would have been very familiar with lots of blood and gore in the Temple of Sacrifice. We tend tend to use it in a very kind of loose way and a bit of a a kind of a, a glib way. Oh, we'll just sacrifice something. But sacrifice was about blood. It was about death. It was about mess, and it was about smell. It's great that Adam had that word about submitting, not doing things our own way, not a bless me club. This is exactly what Paul's talking about here. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Is that really the word for the 21st century? Good! Good! But it feels to me a little bit like some of these these monks in the Middle Ages where they would uh, have hair shirts and bread and water and and everything. Uh, Or the people who were very strict on um, no, no dancing, no alcohol, no television on Sundays and things. But actually it's a word for us. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It was a time back in the 80s, some of us are that old, where there was a song that we would sing quite a lot. We bring a sacrifice of praise. It was a very unsubtle and unsophisticated song. We bring a sacrifice of praise unto the house of the Lord we bring the sacrifice of praise unto the house of the Lord. I'm not going to sing it to you. That's not be too much sacrifice. And we offer up to you sacrifices of thanksgiving. We offer up to you sacrifices of praise. And the whole congregation used to dance their hearts out. We did a little bit of dancing, about six of us this morning. I mean, when was the time when we stopped dancing? I don't remember. We... We don't do sacrifice. Sacrifice isn't a modern word. Jesus says, or Paul says through Jesus, G- Jesus said through Paul, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Why should we do that? Why should we present our bodies as a living sacrifice? Well, there are two clues in the bit that I just missed out in chapter one, in verse one. So, he starts off, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Well, let's work backwards. By the mercies of God. Sacrifice is a response to receiving mercy. And and then, the working backwards a little bit further, therefore... And therefore, is, the, is something that's happened earlier on, which he's then saying this is a result of. Now, Keith did an excellent job on last week on the, the Jews and the Gentiles and the wild olive and the whatever. But there was a little bit at the end which he didn't really cover very much. And this is the clue to why we should be presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. So he's talking in that section. This is, as I said, it's all about Jews and Gentiles. I don't want to get into that again. But ultimately, he gets to a point where he said, everybody has disobeyed. He's, God has consigned everyone to disobedience. This is 11 verse 32. He's consigned all to disobedience so that he have, might have mercy on all. And it's because of that mercy that he has had on each of us that then the only appropriate response is to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. So here's a story from Jesus. This is Matthew 18, verses 23 to 35, but I'm not not going to read all of it. I'm cutting through bits of it. He says, The kingdom of God may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Out of pity for him, the master released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. Then the master summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had mercy on you? The, I don't know how much a hundred talents is, or sorry, ten thousand talents, or a hundred denarii, but I know that that the big one is big. It's more than that person could have earned in their whole lifetime. It's a debt that he could not possibly pay. We, all of us, have a debt that we could not possibly pay before we came to Jesus, and He has taken the punishment for our sins things that we could not possibly pay ourselves. And he has, on the cross, he took our sin, our rebellion, our unforgiveness, our our dirt and our filth, and he took all of that debt we could not possibly pay and he gave us mercy. There's a little... Definition in the Freedom in Christ course, which I really like. I think I even mentioned it before. Um, And and it's it's all about uh, forgiveness. Justice, mercy and grace. Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. We, all of us, should have had justice, which would have been punishment for our sin. We have all, those of us who've trusted in Jesus, we've all received mercy. It's a debt we couldn't possibly pay ourselves. But actually we get quite familiar with it, we get quite used to being in the family of God, being forgiven. We don't particularly think about it. It slowly slips away, and we kind of revert to wanting things our own way, wanting to get get all the stuff like that. Like the servant, you know, the, the, hun, the hundred denarii, a trivial amount. We want it, We get all on our high horse over little things. Actually, Paul says, we should present our bodies as a living sacrifice. While we were in the prayer meeting upstairs before before the service this morning, there were several people, God was speaking to them prophetically about issues of unforgiveness and bitterness. And we're going to have a chance to to have some prayer and ministry for that later on. But unforgiveness, bitterness, holding things against one another. Just think how much mercy you've already received. Just think how much... The kindness and love and grace of God has transformed you. And as we actually get that perspective, all the little things that we have against each other, and all the little things that have happened to us in the past and have caused us to to be damaged, uh, they, they just melt away compared to the greatness of what God's done. So then, do we need to sacrifice in order to get into the presence of God? No. There's a big, big difference between our sacrifice that he's talking about now and the sacrifice that we read about in the Old Testament and all of those things in Leviticus where there's sacrifice for this and a sacrifice for that. In the Old Testament, the sacrifice was the only way For people to try to get rid of their sins so they could come into the presence of God. But we have Jesus who has actually accomplished that for us. Our sacrifice is not in order to receive mercy. It's because we've received mercy. It's a consequence of the mercy that we've received. It's not something that we do in order to get that mercy. And we must never, never slip into the, the danger of trying to work up our own salvation, work up forgiveness. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 and 12, it's it talking about contrast this. It says, in the Old Testament, every priest stands daily in his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice that can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered it for all time a single sacrifice for our sins, He sat down because it was finished. And it goes on about many things. We have received mercy because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Right, so that's my introduction to give us a bit of context. So let's let's read through the text that we're going to do. It's, It's Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. So I appeal to you therefore by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say that everyone among you should not think of themselves more highly than they ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another having gifts that differ according to the grace given, us, given to us let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith if serving in our if service in our serving the one who teaches in his teaching the one who exhorts in his exhortation the one who contributes in generosity the one who leads with zeal and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness And then the chapter goes on and on and on and Paul gets more and more excited about the qualities of the things that as we receive the mercy of God, as we uh, present ourselves as as living sacrifices, it goes on about the qualities of what we can enjoy. But we're not going to go there today because there's too much in this passage and I don't have infinite amounts of time. Alan. OK, so let's see. I want to, to really focus on the, ne- this, this, um, uh, the next verse, which says, Don't be conformed to this world. In the West and in the 21st century, we have an amazing privilege that we can actually meet freely We're not not persecuted, we're not under threat. There are many brothers and sisters around the world at this time and throughout time who have not had that privilege. But the danger that we face is that we become complacent and that the world creeps in and that we don't get any, we're not distinctive. We're not distinguished from the world the, va- world. the values of the world around us, the values of our society creep in and we and water down the message of God and the life of the church. So Paul's saying, "Don't be conformed to the world." In Matthew 5:13, Jesus says, "You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. We must not, not, not lose our saltiness. Because actually, we're not just salt for ourselves, we're salt for the world. We are people who've been put here to do good into society, to bring hope where there's hopelessness, to, to bring the lonely into families, to bring restoration to the things that are broken, and to bring, bring people into, to the foot of the cross, and ultimately to Jesus. So don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. It's actually about how we think. and Our thinking about ourselves and our situation colours what we do. So there are four aspects of this that I want to go through. And ways in which we need to change our thinking so that we don't become conformed to the ways of the world. The first one is back in verse 1, it's worship. Our sacrifice brings us to worship. The world doesn't quite understand worship. Worship is actually about being so in the presence of God, so in love with him, so filling, having him fill our horizon That actually, all the things of our life, all the troubles and all the cares, they just become trivial compared to the majesty and the glory of God. The world says we should all always be thinking about ourselves, look after number one, always have ourselves in view. Whereas worship, we're actually fixing our gaze on him. We're looking to Jesus. And actually, as we sacrifice and as we lay ourselves down and allow him to become bigger in our lives, allow him to increase and we allow ourselves to decrease, then we find a fulfillment that we would never never find anywhere else. A fulfillment that the world doesn't have. The world is constantly trying to to gratify something in them. There's a hunger which can never be satisfied, whereas in Jesus we have the answer to that. Second point about not being conformed to the world. Paul says that as we renew our minds, then we will be able to discern the will of God. What's good? acceptable and perfect. The very end of that passage on the screen there. there. This is really quite interesting. Again, this is something where the chapter divisions in the Bible actually become a hindrance because this is picking up a theme which Paul's just been talking about only a few verses earlier, but somehow we compartmentalise uh, and, and we and so there's really a, there's threads coming all the way through this letter. So in verses 33 to 34 of chapter 11, um, Paul just goes, Oh, the depths and riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counsellor? Without revelation, we can't know what the mind of God is. We can't know what his ways are. We can't know. He as says elsewhere that as high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are his ways above our ways. And that's the natural state of the world. They do not understand the ways of God but as we sacrifice as we bring ourselves to the cross as we renew our minds then he comes with revelation and actually amazingly we get to discern what are his ways what's his good and perfect will Many, many years ago, when I was young, the church I was in, the leader of the church, got together a group of actually young men, and who all of whom he wanted to do a bit of leadership training with, and he set us to write some essays on various topics. And one of the essays he, he gave us was Seeking God's will. So we all of us went away in the Bible. Actually, we had a bit of a hard time. We all of us kind of came up with something. And then he came and he said, right, that was a trick question. Broadly speaking, the Bible doesn't tell us to seek God's will. It tells us to seek God and to do his will. It's actually not about trying to work out what to do, but it's actually getting to know the fountain of life. Um, I mean, this is possibly the closest bit where, you could, where it talks about seeking the will of God. In, in John chapter John 10:27, it says, "My sheep hear my voice; I know them, and they follow me." And that's the, the possibility for every Christian to know the will of God, to know, as, they come to, as we come to him, to know what he wants, to hear his voice, and to do his will. And that's again something that we can't do if we're conformed to the ways of the, of the, of the world. Now let's move down to verse 3. Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. This is not a, doesn't feel like a word for the 20th, 21st century, does it? If we look in the media and we look at, if we go to the bookshop, there are shelves and shelves of, of things about ten ways to be assertive, to, to promote yourself, to change yourself so that there's all these things out there, the world, wants us to to boost ourselves, wants us to to say how great we are. The the media are full of people uh, bragging about how good they are or, or telling each other mutually how good they are. Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith. Jesus said, if anyone would be first, he, w- he must be last of all, and the servant of all. And he also said, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over those who are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table, Or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. That actually, the way of service, following Jesus, we even had some reference to to washing, uh, washing the feet of the disciples at the prayer meeting this morning. This is the way of Jesus, and this is the example that we should follow. Not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought. Not not trying to promote ourselves. Not trying to get our fulfilment about all the things that we can do. But actually seeing the life of God blossom in other people. Serving them to see. see One of the things that gives me the greatest pleasure is when when somebody I know has been struggling with something, I see them come through and they come into a better place. Or where somebody has been, um, I see somebody stepping out in faith in God. That brings joy. It's not about promoting myself, but it's about seeing other people come to the fulfilment of what God wants them to do. It's not the way the world would see it. The world would say, scramble to the top and trample on people in the process. It would say, every person for themselves. Actually, we're about uh, serving one another. The world would say it's all about competition, not about community. It's all about the individual and not society. And then we come to the the last four verses, which are quite a long section, all about one body with many members. And this is a parallel passage to to something in 1 Corinthians 12, which we we often preach about, where where Paul um, amplifies on on this topic. And he has this this, this rather amusing bit. Sometimes Paul can feel like he doesn't have a sense of humour. Sometimes he can be a little bit kind of serious. But I think he's the 1 Corinthians 12 bit, he he really is having a bit of sense of humour because he says, the body doesn't consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less the part of a body. And the ear should say, I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it less a part of the body. And so on. We can often look at each other and we can actually see the gifts that other people have, we can want them for ourselves, and we can actually, the things that God has given to us, we can, we can say, oh that's not of any value. And therefore we don't actually step out in it, but in fact, there is a hole that is the perfect shape for you. Isla had a word last week about dry stone walls and how all of our imperfections fit around each other and make us strong. And it's a little bit like that. Your church needs you. There is no one exactly like you. There's no one with the gifts that God has given you. And if you don't use those gifts in the way that he wants you to, Everybody misses out. Everybody's the poorer. Should be good news. You all look a bit. You all look like you've been sacrificing a bit too much. But there's one very interesting distinction between the list of gifts that Paul talks about here in Romans 12, and the one that he talks about in 1 Corinthians 12, the two two chapter 12s. In 1 Corinthians 12, they're all what we would think of if we try to categorize things as spiritual gifts. There's word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, prophecy, tongues interpretation, healing, miracles, uh, whatever ones I've missed out. Yeah? And they're all, they all feel very spiritual. Whereas the great thing about the Romans 12, we have a huge range. Of different sorts and if we wanted to to classify some as spiritual and some as practical they're all here so it's not saying the church is about one class of people who are spiritual and another class who are practical everybody has gifts everybody has gifts that that actually strengthen one another there's only one of those gifts that's that's in common in both lists and that's prophecy so what are the the gifts we have here We've got prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, contribution, leadership, and mercy, acts of mercy. So they, they cover a huge range of the different things. Your contribution, whatever it is, is useful, is valuable, and, and we would be the poorer without it. It can be very easy to to think, "Oh, I only do such and such." I was talking to somebody the other day who was saying that there was, um, when there was some some laying on of hands for gifts, they received a word saying about being a servant or being doing acts of service. And they said, "Oh, I wish I had something a bit more glamorous." Actually, if we didn't have people serving us, we would um, nothing would happen. So let's think about the gifts that we each of us have and let's actually use them. I love the the way that every one of these has an adjective as to how we should do it. Although in the middle, he does get a little bit, seems like he's run out of inspiration. But okay, so prophecy. Use it according to your faith. Every time you bring a prophecy... It actually needs faith. Is it really God speaking? It's so easy to to fear that you're going to fall flat on your faith. So I want to honour everybody who, who brings prophetic words, who has that gift, because it's faith that we need to use. Service. In serving one another. I mean, it seems to be, his adjective isn't very inspired here, but Anyway, not in, I don't mean inspired-inspired. I just meant, yeah, oh well. Um, so, and then teaching. one teach, well, who teaches in, in teaching. Actually, these, these, are, these are gifts. And if you've ever been somewhere where somebody's trying to teach, you can't. It's, it's a bit painful. Exhortation. Again, we all need to be, to have somebody exhorting us to, 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 to cheer us on, to encourage us, because actually it can be so easy to just get bogged down in everything. Here's one for Alan. Contribution! With generosity. Now, I don't think it only means finance, <laughs> although it does mean finance as Alan will, be, will definitely tell you, but actually being generous with all that we have and all that we are, actually that, that enriches our life together. Leadership with zeal. Those of you who are leading either a, either an a MCOM or some sort of ministry in the church, how zealous are you? Or are you a bit, oh... It's time for us to meet again. Mm. Let's spur one another on to. But if you need somebody to exhort you when you're feeling like that, acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So mercy is actually, you know, it's a tough one because it's going into difficult situations. But actually, by bringing the cheerfulness, the joy of God in the middle of difficult situations that can lift people out of, out of problems. So here's, here's this list. It's a different list from 1 Corinthians. But let's, let's all of us do that because together we can all do more than we can do apart. So there's lots of challenges in this passage. How much are we actually still living as living sacrifices, presenting our bodies as living sacrifices? Or how much are we secretly crawling off the altar and and then being conformed to the ways of the world? This is a point where I could have a rant, but I don't think I'm going to. But it's so easy, so easy for us to to, to get caught up with doing things, that, doing things that are just trivial in comparison. A couple of years ago, I found myself um, with a, a game on my computer, which... If you did it daily, it gave you a a point for... If you you did it daily, and then if if the point's all stacked up with a whole month and the whole month... And and I suddenly realised I got to the point where it was more important to me every day to be getting my my bit of my my daily point than to be reading the book Bible. That would be the first thing I'd think about rather than... And it's like, that's stupid. So I stopped. But it's so easy for these, these things... That feel kind of important, which really aren't in the big scheme of things, to come in and rob us of the things that really are important. Let's just have a little mental thought about how much we live sacrifice. If we were to, I don't want to. To get it down to any individual. So let's do an average across the whole of the church. So it's not about the individual, but maybe you can, if it, if it applies to you. If we were to average out over the church the amount of time we spent on Facebook, on WhatsApp, on Instagram, on all, all these other things, versus the amount of time we spent reading the Bible, praying, and worshipping. What would the answer be? Let's just, let's just make it easier for ourselves. Let's take reading the Bible, praying, worshipping, and everything all together versus just one of those things. Am I wrong that I think that even just one of those things might win out in time? Well, I don't do Facebook at all, so that's, that's easy for me. But there are things that I, that I do that could be tempting. How much are we really living, presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice? We can get all super spiritual and say, oh, it's all about, it's just a metaphor. But Paul's very physical there. It's not about, oh, you're living your life in the life of sacrifice. No, it's about your bodies. Bodies are physical. It's about what we do about who we are it's about doing that in response to the mercy of god we have all received mercy from god therefore let's live ourselves devote ourselves to him how much are we being conformed to the ways of the world Sarah had a great word last week about um, the world tells you you're not good enough. What do you think? Don't listen to the words of the world that say you're not good enough. Don't listen to the words of the world that say you need to do do whatever. Listen to the words of Jesus. So what I want to do is I'm going to ask the band to come back. And I want to have an opportunity for people who have realised that they haven't quite been living the life of sacrifice that, that Jesus is calling them to. And there were, there, were, there were times this week when I was preparing this that I was having to live this in truth, so it's, there's nothing to be ashamed of. There were days when I realised that I'd actually let that all these things creep in uh, and actually I wasn't living. I was letting the world dictate to me rather than Jesus. Particularly if there's any anybody who has um, uh, well, the word from Adam, uh, which we had at the beginning, or, or the things about unforgiveness and bitterness, just come in response to the mercy of God, and let him wash away all the things that would hold you back. Because actually, it's a wonderful, wonderful walk with him. So maybe if the ministry team could come down to the front and and we could... Um, if you want to respond in any way, if you want prayer, you want somebody to come and stand alongside you, then please come. and and somebody will stand. And this is not about condemnation, but it's about, about receiving the mercy of God and living in it.